I want to talk. I want to talk this morning from a standpoint of a biblical view of abortion. A biblical view of abortion. And you say, why do you want to talk about that this morning? You know, I don't usually get into necessary political ideas or thoughts. I'm not talking about it because it's a hot button issue. I mean, it is in some sense. But that's not really why I'm going there. But I do want to talk about it because there are so many different views and understandings even in the church. First of all, let me say before I get into it today, I'm not here to condemn anybody. And I will address the kind of church's response to some of these things at the end of the message. But I do understand what Scripture says. When God says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I don't know the heart or life of some of you, and so I don't know everything that's gone on in your life, and it's not really my intention to pry into that, but I will say that there is no sin that God cannot forgive. And so I just want to leave, lay that out there right at the beginning of this because sometimes in this whole thing, we can kind of feel condemned and so forth, and that's not where I want to go. I do, I do want to look at a, a biblical view of it because many Christians don't know why they support or don't support abortion. Many don't address the subject from a biblical view, but only, if you want to say, from a political or humanistic point of view. And I am looking into the church today, and I'm looking into the world today, and I think sometimes that is the fault of us as pastors and us as churches because we don't lay out a biblical understanding uh, to these issues in our world. What does the Bible say? Why do we not support or why do we support something? So I want to share concepts, and this is my thought. I want to share concepts from Scripture which we need to consider when we look into these arguments. And I want to move, ba- I want to move past just the simple idea of you know, Exodus chapter 20 and 13 or Deuteronomy 5 verse 17, which says you shall not kill or you shall not murder. I want to get, I want to move past those things, uh, and give us some real understanding of, of greater depth to, to what scripture says regarding this issue. And so my opening verse, and some of this I'll, I'll, I'll readily say some of this is I'm boring from others that I've heard and and putting it together as, along with kind of my thoughts or, or, or ideas as I've thought about this issue. The opening verse that I would have for you today, and you can write these things down. I don't have it on the screen this morning. But Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 19 says this, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness who speaks lies, and he who sows discord among brethren. That's a, if we could break through that verse and kind of talk about that, I just, 
understand, like, there's a lot in there. You know, we're going to focus on verse 17 in our thoughts today where it says that he hates hands that shed innocent blood. But let us remember that God also says this about a lying tongue. You know, someone who's running, who's swift to run to mischief, someone who gives a false witness, someone who even disows discord among brethren. That is, that, that right there, hey, we should take that in the church. Okay? So just understand this. We see the beginnings of this in the very beginning chapters of the Bible when Cain, we have the story of Cain and Abel. And we know the story of Cain and Abel and that Cain killed Abel because he was jealous and upset with God's response to him and God's response to Abel, thinking it was really unfair. It's an interesting thing that God speaks to Cain after all of that interaction that Cain had with his brother in killing him. And in Genesis chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, God says to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. I really just want us to understand this morning that God looks upon the shedding of innocent blood. Cain had done nothing, or Abel had done nothing wrong in that instance. But God looks upon the shedding of innocent blood and takes it very seriously. I'm going to simply give you one scientific or medical understanding this morning, one scientific or medical argument this morning. If you want more, you can go online, or I would encourage you even to speak to, to Dr. Addy. Um, if it, he's not here today, but you could talk to him about this because I'm sure he could outline this in a greater fashion. I do want us to look at this one thing, though, before we get into the major focus of the word, because I think it's important for us to understand that even in our world today, there's not a, log not a lot of logic that is, that is thought of when we look at this. If you take every medical, biological textbook, textbook that is out there, it'll acknowledge that the human organism that emerges from fertilization is a living member of the human species. And that it is a whole human being with its own DNA and genetic code, and that it directs itself along a developmental trajectory that is specific to being human. You will never find that a mom will give birth to a dog. Amen? That just doesn't happen, okay? Um, the, the fetus, the, the, that which is born out of conception, grows along, has its own DNA, has its own genetic code, and therefore is specific to being a human being. Saying that humans be, human beings all deserve equal protection under the law. And if you exclude an entire segment of the human family based upon them being small or dependent or biologically immature or temporarily incapable of high-level functioning, by the way, I read, I'm reading this from a scientist. This is not me, all right? You know this is not my language, all right? That is a lethal form of discrimination. And if you look at it this way, 
You could even see that this is not necessarily even a religious argument, but it is a human rights issue. But what does the Bible say? Some of the arguments that are out there is that the baby or the fetus is not a human being at conception or even before birth. So the, the question then comes in, when does life start according to God? When does life begin according to Scripture? And so we get some strong hints from Scripture, one of which comes out of Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, which says, For the life of the flesh is where? In the blood. Verse 14 of Leviticus chapter 17 says, For the life of every creature is its blood. In its blood is its life. The argument thrown out there today is that the baby or the fetus is not alive until it is born. Or that they do not know when the or they, or they do not know when during the pregnancy the blob of flesh transforms and becomes alive. You know, it's interesting that some people, even some Christians, are in favor of early abortions. But God says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And if you were to look into the medical science behind this, the blood flow starts at about day 20. It is also said that it is possible to detect a heartbeat around the fifth week of pregnancy. And what is the heart there to do? It is there to move the blood around, to pump the life of the flesh around. And so if we were looking in Scripture, it would seem to indicate to us today that within those very first few weeks of conception, after being after the, con the, the conceiving of that baby, that according to Scripture, that the life of the flesh is pres present. Another thing to think about when we consider this thought or idea is that the baby or the fetus is created in the image of God. In fact, you and I, male and female, are the only living creatures on earth which we see in Scripture, we are the only part of creation that God created in His image and likeness. Isn't that wonderful? You are created special. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says there, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Every human being is conceived or born or designed to reflect the image of God. You were born, you were designed to reflect God's image. God has used himself as the pattern for our creation. Animals were not created in God's image. That is not saying that the creation of an animal is not an incredible thing. 
When you look at sometimes into the nature and you see the beauty of nature and you see the beauty of God's creation in the animals that he created, it is a wonderful, incredible, glorious thing that speaks of his incredible intelligence and his great power. But understand this morning, the animal is created differently than you and I. Animals were not created in God's image and no part of Scripture is an animal referenced as being made in God's image. That's why if you look at it, evolution or the, the, the idea of man coming or evolving from an animal is another lie of Scripture. I would have to ask if somebody says, well, I believe as a Christian in evolution, I'd have to ask at which point At which step in the evolutionary process did we move from animal to human? At which point did we move from being without God's image to being made in his image and likeness? At which step, at which missing link? Which is why we are allowed to kill and eat animals. There's no problem. This whole idea in the world today that is wrong and you got to put morning labels on eating beef. I'm thankful for beef. Amen. Had a good steak last night. It was wonderful. It was so good. Do you know that eating meat came after the flood? Before the flood, humans were vegetarians. Thankful I didn't live at that time. (laughs) It was after the flood, after Noah got off the boat, after he got off the ark, that is when God gave us meat, fish and birds to eat. You say, how do you know that? Because Genesis 9, 2, verses 3 and 4 record it. Every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and all that moves on the earth and all the fish of the sea will fear you and be terrified of you. Why? Because they have been given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives will be food for you. I give you everything just as I gave you the green plant. Prior to the flood, they were all vegetarians. After the flood, God said, hey, let me show you what prime rib is like. (laughs) I'm having a little fun, yes. Most people don't know that. Most people thought Adam and Eve were, were meat eaters. They weren't. However, so God, you know, that's a little side note. However, just a few verses down from this this part, God instructs Moses or Noah in verse 6 and says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So God says, I've given you all the animals. It's okay to take the life of the animals and eat the animals because I've given that to you for food. But understand that whoever sheds the blood of man, there is a judgment that comes to that person because that person is taking the life of someone who was made in God's image. 
So one very significant reason it is wrong to kill another human is because that person is carrying the image of God. And to destroy or murder a human is to, in in a sense, destroy that image. Which is why God says in verse 5, before this one, that God will give or demand an account. In fact, he demands, he will demand capital punishment, and he actually demands it on both man and beast, if you read that scripture, as payment or judgment for the life that was taken. Let me say this. Be careful when you wish or hope death upon someone. Be be careful if you wish or hope death upon a politician. I know we have corrupt politicians. I know the world is corrupt. I know things are wrong. But listen, as a Christian, be careful that you do not wish or hope death upon another individual or another human being, even a corrupt politician. The Bible records in, in, the, in the New Testament that Jesus said that if a, if a man is angry with his brother or angry with someone and even says something like calls them an idiot, he has committed murder against that individual in his heart. But for our discussion today, the point is is that that fetus or that baby upon conception as a human being, whether you're not that person or that human being is fully formed or not, is created and designed in the image of God. It is not simply a clump or a lump of cells. Another thought is God's view of life even before the fetus is present. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 16, it says, You brought my inner parts into being. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for you made me with fear and wonder. Marvelous are your works, and you know me completely. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately put together in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw me unformed. Yet in your book all my days were written before any of them came into being. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 24 says this, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. In Psalms and Jeremiah, we see that God had knowledge, or God has knowledge of every person, of every human being before they were born. This tells me, that it is with God's intention and purpose that each one of us is created. God knew each one of us prior to our existence. Our days, our purpose, His plan for us was written or determined even before we were conceived. 
How do I grasp or understand that? Beyond me. That's why he's God. But it comes down to this question. At what point does any one of us have the right to terminate a life that God has intended? Let me talk a little bit about a sensitive subject. Please hear me. Because I know these are difficult things. People will say, what about things like rape or incest? Or other negative circumstances of conception? God doesn't need negative circumstances to bring someone into the world, but we have to understand evil exists. Freedoms for humanity to act as they want exist. Sin exists, which brings about some of the results that we see. One of that, or one of those results is that people are born because of less than ideal happenings. You just have to look at the situation in our family with our children to see that. And I've had people kind of insinuate to me, well, there was a way that those children could have been taken care of. And I'm like, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the mom didn't decide that. Now here's the mastery of God. God can take any negative situation and turn it to good. That takes faith. It takes compassion. Listen, one of the things the church has not been good at is compassionate in these situations. Not been very understanding at times. We see a teenage mom, and what do we do? We condemn her for her mistake. You see, the circumstance of conception does not determine the validity of the life being formed. So you're going to look at all of these circumstances, and I would also say the fact of the matter is regarding all of these negative circumstances, they are a tiny fraction of the abortions that take place in our nation. Tiny, minuscule fraction. The Bible says in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God can take any circumstance or situation, however negative, in the negativity and the sin and all the destruction that you want to say that it was started in, And God can turn it around 
in the person that has faith and trust in him, God can turn it around and use it for good. What does the Bible say about the penalty of shedding innocent blood? Psalm 106, verses 36 to 38 says this, They served their idols, which were, were a snare to them. Yes, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and poured out innocent blood. And even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. It's, a note, it's interesting to note here that the killing or the sacrificing of children was classified as pouring out innocent blood. Even saying the land became polluted with blood because of it. If you look into the Old Testament, when Israel mingled with the other nations, the pagan nations, Israel became involved in idol worship. And one aspect of idol worship was they would sacrifice their own children to the idols that these pagan nations served and sacrificed their kids to. And so God is obviously not very happy. That's one of the reasons that Israel was sent into a place of bondage, into a place of captivity, because God was bringing judgment upon Israel for doing this. The result or the judgment that came is found in verses 40 to 41, where it says, Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his own inheritance. He gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. I wonder sometimes today when I look at the world today, and I look at Canada specifically, and by the way, in Canada approximately annually, there is maybe about 80 to 90 to 100,000 babies being aborted every year in Canada. In Alberta, it's about 12 to 13,000 every year, which means roughly about 30 to 40 a day in Alberta alone. I wonder sometimes if some of the struggles that we see in our nation is because of these situations that we're allowing. It's just something to think about. It's interesting also, there's a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 25. It says there, Cursed is he who receives pay to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is he who receives pay to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say amen. Deuteronomy 27, verse 25. Let's get to an argument that we often hear. Here, please hear the whole thing. What about the argument, my body, my choice? Many Christians fall into this wrong thinking. Many Christians or people, ladies or whoever might say, no one will tell me what to do with my body. Can I say, how about God? How about God? As a Christian, how about God? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, it says, What? 
Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and that what? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Meaning it's His. Or 1 Corinthians 7.23, You were bought at a price. Do not be the servants of men. Listen, as Christians today, we're not our own. God has purchased us. We even sang it this morning. God has purchased us with the very life of His own Son. And now He has ownership. As Christians, He has ownership of us. This this goes beyond simply this idea of abortion or anything else. I mean, this, this relates to every aspect of our life. When the Bible says to us, ladies, submit yourselves to your husbands, God has the right to say that. Men, when God says, treat your wife, love your wife as Christ loved the church. When God says to us, men, as we looked one Sunday, if you do not treat your wife well, do not be surprised if your prayers are not effective. You cannot throw up your hands to God and say, well, God, it's my choice. No. You were bought by a price. You were paid for. Jesus set his life down so that you and I can come into eternal life, be bought by his blood. Now we are owned. In a sense, we are owned by God. And so when we want to say, I have the right. We need to be careful. We are not to be submitted to or we are not to be servants of the activities or thinking of the people in the world or mankind. Much of the church today is the servants of men. Much of the pastors today, I'll even say, are the servants of men because we are more concerned without the, with, 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 with making our congregations happy and not offending people than with telling people what the Word of God says. And listen, I am not here and I'm not one who kind of likes to get up and, and, and stir the pot in a sense and just say something to be controversial. There's those people out there who do that and they do it because it brings them views or it brings them whatever it might be and brings them fame and somehow they draw money out of those things. I'm not into that, but I am into the idea that as a pastor and as a church, we are here to speak truth. Yes, in love. 
so that we are not the servants of men or the world. So as a Christian, my body, my choice, it doesn't fit. His body, His choice. Let me just talk about the progressive nature of sin. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, But each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then, when sin, or when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is finished, it brings forth death. This verse really speaks to the progressive and destructive nature that comes with sin. To say that it is just a small or minor sin is deceptive. Sin often starts out as something seemingly small and grows into something that brings destruction and death. We do this even in our own lives. Oh, this movie, it's okay. It's just a little bit of nudity. Oh, this sin, it's okay. It's just a little bit. And what happens is it progresses in our life and brings about a place of bondage. You know, it starts out, well, in some ways, you know, people will say, well, it's okay to abort a baby in the first trimester when they're not really conscious of anything. Then it moves on, moves on, and moves on. And people do not, many Christians do not realize to what extent things are allowed to get to and how even the killing of babies has become acceptable. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't know it, but in Canada there is not one law or regulation that regulates abortions. You can go in as a mother with a nine-month full-term baby in your womb today that would be born tomorrow. You could go in today and have it aborted, and it be legal. That is not me making up stats. That's not me making up anything. All you have to do is go look at the laws. In fact, they've gotten to the point where they are fighting for and even have laws where children who lived against the efforts of those who wanted to abort them, abort them but then emerged alive from the womb are allowed to be placed aside, abandoned, and to die. This happens in Canada. This happens in the United States.
This is the progression of where things are at. You see, it doesn't stop with just simply one aspect. And we're seeing the results of it today. Euthanasia, medically assisted suicide. We are killing thousands of people a year in Canada through medical assisted suicide, medical assisted death. And by the way, in the next several months, Canada will become one of the few nations in the world will, where, which will allow medical aid in dying for people who are depressed, who have personality disorders, who have schizophrenia, and other mental afflictions. Who, who gets to decide that? I mean, have you ever woken up one day and, like, like, depressed? Like, man, I wish life was a little, you know, I wish God would just come take me today. Imagine you just having a bad day one day. Or imagine you cannot, you are deemed legally, in a sense, Not able to make the own, your own decisions for your life. And somebody decides that your life is not worth it. You see, I think about these things sometimes because of, the, because of the nature of where my body is at. It would be very easy to recover. I live in pain all the time. You know, things are struggle for me. I, I, I could see it one day where somebody decides and turns around and says, Chad, you're too much of a burden to society. You, you, you live in pain so much. Why don't we just end it all for you? And I would be like, you and I are going to war. But it's a reality that we face in our world today. Who decides a life is worth living? It's coming even for our seniors. It's, it's come already in parts of the world for our senior citizens. It's not just as simple as my body, my choice. Because in those situations, it's somebody else's choice. Let's talk about the church's response in closing. The church, I believe, has failed in this area. One, I believe the church has failed in the sense that we have not spoken up and spoken given truth. And I'm not talking about necessarily going and picketing and all those sorts of things. If you look at the population of the church in Canada and the population of Christians in the church in Alberta, if we all stood and voted what was biblical and where our conscience stood, especially in our elections and so forth, we could drastically and dramatically change the political environment of our country and our province. One. So therefore, as a church, we need to have an understanding of what the Bible says. Well, let's talk about these other things. 
The church needs to operate in a place of compassion and love. People make mistakes. Amen? How many have blown it? Yeah. One of the worst things that I sometimes see in the church is that when somebody blows it, the church is the first to come down and condemn them. And I get it. I'm not saying that we condone sin. But sometimes we need to walk with a person, wrap our arms around them and say, I know, sorry, I love you. Let's walk through this together. Let's help you through this. It broke my heart one day when I was at the pregnancy care center down in, here in Edmonton talking to the director at the time, Nora Kennedy, to hear that one day a young woman came into, the, into their clinic with her father. And they were looking at the different options that she had as a single Teenage girl, pregnant. And to hear that abortion was really being considered in this situation. And then to hear that her father was a pastor. And to hear that he was kind of in favor of this procedure. because he was scared of the shame that was going to come to him as the pastor of the church for the mistake of his daughter. I can look out and I can say to that, I could look out and judge that person very harshly. But I look out and say, it's a shame that a man and a daughter, in some sense, or it's also a shame that a man and a daughter have to, in some sense, be scared of the shame that will come to them should they admit their mistake or admit the mistake that was made to the church. We have to have compassion and love for people, for all people. And by the way, that includes those women who have had abortions. You know, walking around and saying, oh, you murderer, doesn't help. The church needs to step up with practical solutions and help in these situations to help people know that they can get through these situations and that they are not walking it alone. You know, one of the interesting things about rape and incest when somebody, when a woman is pregnant, do you know that most of the time that the woman chooses in those situations to have an abortion, it's not because that's something that she wants, but it's because of the pressure that she feels from those around about her to get the abortion. How can you carry that baby? I close with the verse that I kind of st- I, 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 I mentioned at the beginning. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that goes for anything that we've done. So while I would encourage us to have a biblical view on this subject, I would also encourage us to walk in the love that God has called us to walk in and to care for people the way that God cares for people. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads this morning.